scripture reading this morning comes from Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is the word of the Lord. It is absolutely true and given to us in love. Thanks, Nick. Well, good morning again. Um, It's good to be with you and... um, to gather up this morning uh, together like this. We are beginning a new series this morning in the book of Psalms, and we'll be here through the end of the summer. Um, The Psalms, as you may know, are are the prayer book or the song book of the Bible. Uh, They've been used for millennia by the church to shape its worship, to shape its prayer life. Um, And this is because they are uh, what Martin Luther called a, a mini Bible in the sense that they um, give such a good overview of redemptive history. There's so much fullness in the Psalms. They help us to see God more clearly because he reveals himself in the Psalms uh, by so many names, by so many dimensions uh, that are rich beyond what we could imagine on our own. And so this brings a reality to our prayer lives and our worship that nothing else can. They've also been central to the life of the church because the Psalms are participatory. Uh, they're not meant to just be read. They're, they're meant to be prayed and to be recited and to be sung. And we'll be doing that together uh, throughout the summer. They're composed in poetic form. Uh, and I think you can make a case that no other section of Scripture so clear, clearly exposes our emotional lives um, and the emotional life of God. They help us to understand the movements of our hearts in some really profound ways and help us to hear the voice of God speak into our questions and pain and struggles. The timing of the series is really um, great for us here at Hope Chapel because just last week we wrapped up a series on the covenants of God. And the covenants are these promises that God makes with his people. They're highly relational between God and his people. And the final covenant we looked at just last week was God's covenant with David. And this morning we're in one of the Psalms of David. It's a beautiful joining because all of the weight of God's covenants that we talked about, they bear out for us in the Psalms. The character of God, um, all of who he is, is the context in which we read these Psalms. And his steadfastness is why we can trust and praise and lament and question and doubt and follow and love the Lord. And so we're going to see that uh, throughout the upcoming weeks. One other note before we jump into Psalm 23. uh, When we first started to um, plan this series a few months ago, I put out a call to a handful of our musicians. We have some amazing musicians at Hope Chapel. And I asked them if they would be interested in claiming one of these psalms that we're going to be looking at over the next weeks and writing music for it, putting it to song. And so they responded great, and we have eight of these songs, and you're going to hear one each week starting today uh, during communion. Uh, Mark Wingerter is going to be doing Psalm 23, and so each week you'll hear one of these songs. They're noted in the bulletin, and then our hope is at the end of it, when we finish that last Sunday, 
we're already working on recording them and we're going to make them available to download. Um, so you can have those as a, as a devotional um, gift to you that you can unpack and chew on uh, as the months go by. Uh, so please thank them if you see those musicians around. Uh, they put a lot of heart and love and work into those songs, and it's, it's really quite a gift to us. Um, so Psalm 23, it's probably the most well-known passage um, in all of Scripture um, throughout the world. It's, it's used in countless funerals. It's been painted hundreds of times. Uh, it is uh, quoted in songs by everyone from Bach to Duke Ellington and Pink Floyd to Kanye West. Um, it is in the movie Titanic, when the ship is sinking, it's what the priest is reading. Um, it's beautiful poetry. You're probably very familiar with it. And I think that's one of the reasons why it resonates with so many people, because it is beautiful. But I think maybe an even deeper reason is because it asks questions and engages things that we, we long to have a resolution to. We long for these things, for peace, for contentment, for hope for the future. It's often called a psalm for the dying, but I, I think as we see and reflect on it this morning, that it is very much a psalm for the living. At its heart, Psalm 23 shows us that God is the only necessity of life. And to the degree that we learn to experience him that way, to that degree we can have peace in the midst of all of our circumstances. And so our goal this morning is moving from Psalm 23 being a familiar text to it becoming a foundational truth in our lives. And so let me pray for us uh, before we jump in here. Lord, uh, thank you for the opportunity to camp out here for a few moments this morning. I pray that you would move us, um, move in us to be a people who, um, who can really be uh, submissive to the Good Shepherd, who can be led in such a way that we are a hopeful and contented um, people. And so uh, bless us as we, as we listen and learn and move in us, we pray. Amen. Uh, so we, as we move through the passage together, I'm going to frame around these four ideas, that we are known, we are loved, we are led, and we are invited. So we are known first. This is a basic observation, um, but it's really important to recognize right up front is that we are the sheep in this scenario. And this is not a compliment. Uh, sheep seem uh, cute and adorable and idyllic on fields when you pass them on the highway. Um, but when you are up close to them, they are pretty problematic creatures in a lot of ways. Um, they're not smart. Uh, they can get separated from their flocks and lost really easily. Uh, one thing that I read said they can be in their own field and be lost. <laughs> they're completely dependent on their shepherd. They, they literally can't survive on their own. Um, they're very vulnerable to all kinds of things, predators, pests, insects, poor environment, uh, environmental conditions. Um, they're dirty, they're smelly, they're stubborn. And you're a sheep, and I'm a sheep too. We are the sheep in this. And David, he was a shepherd, and so when he uses this metaphor, he's not doing it randomly. He's doing it with all of that context in mind. And so the first stop in letting this passage become foundational to us is recognizing who we are. Um, this is actually pretty tough for me um, because I have a deep internal commitment to being independent and not needing help. Um, I remember once Hannah and I were in the midst of some conflict, and I don't remember what 
what it was about originally, and it doesn't really matter. But what I remember is that she made this comment, I feel like you don't need me for anything. And I'm certain at that time that I was defensive and argued with that. Um, But the truth is that I work really hard in my life not to need people. I'm fine with being needed, with helping, uh, but I like to feel self-sufficient. These, um, these Netflix shows like Doomsday Preppers, I can get really into those, not really because I share the doomsday anxieties, but because I'm, the allure of being self-sufficient is like a pull for me. Um, and so this is the first thing. We, we need to be honest about who we are. Um, as one pastor put it, Psalm 23 will never be a psalm of comfort unless it's first a psalm of insult. Never a psalm of comfort unless it's first a psalm of insult. And if you're familiar with the Bible, this this isn't a new concept to you. Um, Jesus, when he was traveling and teaching and healing, um, in Matthew 9, it recounts this scene where uh, where it says that he felt compassion for these people because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And when he looks at us this morning, that's what he sees too. We are sheep who are harassed and helpless. Uh, And that word harassed means uh, weary, troubled, and worried. Do any of you feel those things this morning? I I know that I do. And so here's where I think it gets interesting for us. Um, We we struggle to admit that we're sheep. Um, We don't want to recognize our helplessness. But Jesus, he sees that clearly. He knows our neediness. And the reason that this psalm can be so deeply comforting and powerful is because these words of comfort aren't spoken in a generic way. They're spoken with this um, knowledge of our neediness. Um, Megan Rapinoe, I saw this video of her last week. She's, you know, one of the stars of the U.S. women's soccer team. And she was sitting down with, um, with some friends on either side of her, and she's talking, and a fan comes up with a soccer ball asking her to sign it. And she takes the ball, signs it, and gives it back without ever looking up or making eye contact. She's still carrying on a conversation uh, with the people next to her. It's kind of amazing that that's possible to do. This, um, these words from the shepherd are the complete opposite. They're, they're, looked in the, they're, they're, they're with us being looked at in the eye, the full weight of everything we are, and being spoken to with that specificity. And that's what can really be powerful about this. Um, we get in Jesus a shepherd who knows us better than we know ourselves. And what we'll see is that he moves toward us in love with all of that knowledge. And that's our second point. Verse 1 says, the Lord is my shepherd. And this one phrase says so much to us about the nature of our relationship with Jesus. In fact, when I first started studying this, um, I really considered just, just exploring this one phrase, the Lord is my shepherd. Because there's so much richness to unpack in this phrase. Um, I decided that we should go through the whole thing, but I'm going to just highlight a few things about this sentence before we um, continue on. And so the first thing I want to look at is what I'm going to call the positional nature of God's love. So sheep are the possession of the shepherd. Uh, The shepherd owns the sheep. He buys them. He marks them with a brand of his uh, farm or of his name. Um, this can give us security, knowing that we, we belong to the Lord. We are his possessions. I think often we live like the security is 
a resource that's sort of available to us if we need it, um, but it's a reality. And so John 10 uh, is a great example of how this works. Jesus calls himself the good shepherd in this passage, and he says that he lays down his life for his sheep. And um, he goes on to unpack that a little bit, and he says, you know, if, if a hired hand were taking care of the sheep and a predator came or some threat to them, he doesn't have any stake in it, and so he runs. But the shepherd stays. He holds his ground. He protects his sheep. And the reason for this is because he owns and loves them. He understands that he is their protector and their, their guide. And so this is so important for us to know that we are owned by the shepherd. But then that causes us to ask, who is this shepherd? Who is the Lord? And that word Lord in this, in this um, passage, it's Yahweh. And that is the covenant-keeping name of God. We've heard that word a few times lately. Um, it's the name that God used when he revealed himself to Moses. It's not the name that the Bible uses when it talks about God creating things. It's the name that God uses when he talks about relationship with his people. And so we're not owned by just any shepherd. We're owned and we belong to Yahweh, the one who has promised his powerful and steadfast love to his people. This is the covenant, like I said, that we talked about uh, the last five weeks. So that's the positional nature of his love here. We also see the personal nature of his love. Shepherd is the most intimate metaphor that we've seen so far, like in the Psalms up to 23. Uh, We've seen stuff like uh, king and defender, and those are really powerful words, but kind of distant. We've seen shield and rock, which are also distant. But shepherd is this extremely intimate metaphor. He, he's everything to his sheep. They need him for everything. And so when we hear this, it's, it's personal in a new way. But let's go even further. Hear it this way. The Lord is my shepherd. Wow, how personal does this become? That word my means so much. It's a difference between me pointing at Watts and saying, that's a boy, and me pointing at Watts and saying, that's my boy. The Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is your shepherd. And you are his sheep. So what does that mean? Well, it links us in a personal way with this list of provisions that's coming up in the text. Um, So that all of these things, they're benefits to the sheep who belong to the good shepherd. And so we're going to unpack these next few phrases, starting with, uh, I shall not want, which is also sometimes translated, I lack nothing. And this is a fascinating statement because we've already established that David is saying he's a sheep, which means that he has nothing. But now he's saying that he lacks nothing. How is it possible to have nothing and lack nothing? And it's all rooted in the nature of the shepherd. Because it's not about the filthiness of the sheep. It's about the faithfulness of the shepherd. It's not about our goodness and love pursuing God all the days of our lives, as the text says later on. It's about him pursuing us. And this is the gospel. David understands how deeply he is known and how deeply he's loved. Psalm 68, praise be to the Lord, to God our Savior, Savior who daily bears our burdens. Psalm 121, he who watches over you will not slumber. This is what Paul called the secret of contentment in Philippians 4. And do you remember after the Israelites were rescued from captivity in Egypt, they spent 40 years in the wilderness 
Um, and they were nomadic people, essentially. They didn't have a home. They had very few possessions. Um, and yet, Deuteronomy 2.7 says this. Listen, for the Lord your God has blessed you in all the work of your hands. He knows you're going through this great wilderness. These 40 years, the Lord your God has been with you. You have lacked nothing. This is very challenging for me. Um, and I think for all of us as, as 21st century Western people, um, I've shared before how prone I am to kind of look ahead to things that I believe will bring some kind of new contentment. Um, we've lived in three houses over the last 13 years, and each time we've moved, no joke, within 48 hours, I've been on Trulia checking out what is new on the housing market. It's just, it's a problem. Um, and uh, so maybe you can relate to that poll to kind of a, a new place Um, to bring contentment or maybe you feel this way about a relationship if you could only meet this person if you could only have resolution in this relationship if only dot 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 uh, then you would lack nothing or maybe you feel it about your career or your children or your bank account but what David is saying here is that we can have nothing and lack nothing when we know that we are owned and loved by the shepherd So then the next phrase, he he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. This flows directly out of the phrase we just talked about. Um, In the most basic sense, this means that the good shepherd keeps his sheep alive, right? He gives them food, he gives them water. And if we unpack it, though, we we see a little bit more of um, a full picture of God's love. There's a shepherd turned pastor uh, who wrote a book about Psalm 23, which I'd recommend. It's wonderful. Um, Philip Keller is the author's name. Um, He says that in order for a sheep to lie down, that these four anxieties that they have have to be met or have to be relieved. They have to be free of these four anxieties. They have to have freedom from fear, from tension from the flock, from aggravations like pests and insects and things, and from hunger. And unless these four things happen, they won't lie down and they can't rest. And the thing about it is they can't make these things happen on their own. They're, they're helpless to do these things. And so the shepherd is the only one um, who can provide rest for them in that way. I remember when Piper was born, uh, I got into the habit of falling asleep with an earbud in one ear, basically trying to find the most boring podcast I could find to listen to, to sort of like zone, zone me out. And in retrospect, I think really what I was doing is, is trying to get free from some anxiety about being a new dad, about the changes that were happening um, in my life and these kinds of things. And uh, sort of my own attempt to lie down by still waters, if you want to put it that way. Maybe you have something similar in your life. Um, Psalm 23 is showing us how our good shepherd leads us to pastures that are green and filled with food and to still waters where we can drink deeply And he can release us from these anxieties so that we can rest. And what what results from that is restoration. He restores my soul. And the word here for soul is nefesh, which means the totality of a human being. Our minds, our bodies, our spirits, our emotions, our will. His restoration is holistic and full and complete. And of course, this doesn't change the fact that we're sheep. Like we've already said, that we get lost, we get sick, that we are frail creatures. 
but what it means is that God is committed to our restoration. And so before we move on to the next point, I, I do want to, to wonder out loud, in what ways are you struggling to experience the love of the Good Shepherd? Um, do you wonder if He really knows you? Do you wonder if He cares or has strength to re- restore you in your brokenness? There are no easy answers, and I don't want to offer some kind of a fix for these things, because I truly think that um, this is the biggest and deepest struggle of the human heart, to believe that God loves us. Uh, I think it's in the original question of the serpent to Eve, when he asks her, does God really care? Does he really want what's best for you? Does he really love you? And so, no, there's not an easy answer to those questions, but I do believe that meditating on and praying this psalm can move our hearts toward receiving the love of the Good Shepherd. So I hope we'll do that together. Okay, so we've seen how we are known and how we are loved, and verses 3 and 4 show us what it means for the shepherd to lead the sheep. So it starts with this phrase, He leads me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. And the literal translation here is, He leads me on the right paths. Um, It's not really talking about leading us to obtain righteousness, Uh, A better understanding is that he leads in the paths that take the sheep to where they need to go most directly. So not crooked paths. He doesn't unnecessarily tire out his sheep, and he knows what's ahead. Okay, that's the idea of this. He leads me in paths of righteousness. And then for his name's sake, this could be heard as because because that's who he is. He leads me on the right paths because that's who he is. He cannot be anything other than the covenant-keeping good shepherd. We can trust that he's always leading us on the best paths, even when those paths bring the sheep through the valley of the shadow of death. And what is this valley? In the most basic sense, it is, uh, it's the uncertainty that we experience in life. And some people also say that it's literally death. Um, and in either way, it's, it, there's a, a difficult um, but important implication here, which is that the shepherd's right paths will sometimes bring us into very difficult places. Um, Watts' seventh birthday was yesterday, and it was cause to reflect again on his life. And I was remembering um, when Watts was first sick, even before he was diagnosed with leukemia, uh, we were in the PICU at Brenner and he was, um, he was in one of those cribs with the plastic around it. I don't know if you've seen these. It's to keep germs out. Um, and his whole 10-month body was swollen up, um, to be honest, almost beyond recognition. And we were so afraid of what was happening. And I remember, I remember that we started to tape things up on the outside of this plastic. We put pictures of him as a healthy baby. We wrote his first name, Gideon and what it meant, which was warrior. Um, and we, we taped up scripture passages that remind us of God's character. And my friend TJ, he texted me all five verses of this William Cooper hymn, um, God Moves in a Mysterious Way. And I remember writing that out on index cards and taping it up uh, there on the plastic. <clears throat> I wanted to read a few of those lines. You fresh, uh, sorry, you fearful saints, fresh courage take. The clouds you so much dread are big with mercy and shall break in blessings on your head. 
His purposes will ripen fast, unfolding every hour. The bud may have a bitter taste, but sweet will be the flower. This, um, this sovereign wisdom of God, that somehow right paths would include incredible heartbreak and difficulty, it is a complete mystery. We, we, can't, we can't understand how that works. Uh, we can't explain it. But we can trust that the heart of the shepherd is good. And that leads into the next phrase, I will not fear for you are with me. And this phrase is a gold mine. Um, the heart of it is that a place cannot determine um, our ultimate safety. Only a person can. It's all connected to what we've already talked about with the character of the good shepherd. If all of those things are true about him, then nothing can ultimately destroy us. And his presence with us overcomes the only awful thing that remains, which is the fear. And finally, we come to the last image in this idea of being led by the shepherd. It's uh, this phrase, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Um, the psalmist is digging even deeper into this conviction that we have nothing to fear if we belong to uh, the shepherd. And that word rod here is essentially a club. Um, it was a tool that shepherds carried to um, defend their flock from predators. Um, but there's also some, some, some shadows of maybe it was a, like a scepter as well. So there's maybe implications of it being a symbol of power and strength and royalty. And the staff is a tool the shepherd used to discipline and protect the sheep from danger, right? To pull them away from harm. And so the truth about both of these ideas is that there is a powerful and sovereign nature to God's leadership that can give us peace and take away our fear. And I know that for me and Hannah in the PICU um, seven years ago, six, six years ago, it was a source of great comfort to know that. That the God who rides upon the storm, which is another phrase in that hymn, um, is with us, beside us, and leading us through life. And so we've seen uh, how we're loved, we're known, and we're loved, and we're led by the shepherd. And then in the last two verses, the metaphor changes. Um, the, the Lord as shepherd becomes the Lord as a host. And the image here is of a banquet, a feast, this table that's beautifully set, the cup filled to the brim, the oil signifying a guest of honor. Um, and there's this also sense of vindication where God is preparing this feast and, and our enemies are right there um, watching it. Uh, it's great, but what we get in this picture is even better than an image of an honored guest. I want to read to you two paraphrases of this um, that I think are really helpful to understand. Um, this first one is from Isaac Watts. The sure provisions of my God attend me all my days. Oh, may your house be my abode and all my work be praise. There I would find a settled rest while others go and come. No more a stranger or a guest, but like a child at home. And then listen to this one from Aubrey Johnson. Yes, I shall be pursued in unfailing kindness every day of my life, finding a home in the household of Yahweh for many a long year. To be a child at home, as Isaac Watts put it there, um, which, by the way, is Watts's namesake, um, it's to be part of a family, to share in a community around a table. Um, and so this psalm, which has been so personal, like we talked about at the very beginning, 
it um, broadens out and tells us you do belong to God and you belong to one another. And so what do we know about this host character, this, this host who's creating a family? Um, in the first section, the clue was in that phrase, for his name's sake. Remember I said it's, it's essentially saying because it's who he is. Um, in this section, the key is the word mercy. It's a word that's sometimes translated as steadfast love. And this is the Hebrew word hesed. And if that sounds familiar, it's because Daniel talked about it last week. Um, he reminded us beautifully that the way God um, describes himself to Moses is by using that same word, hesed. And in our text, the word follows, follows me all the days of my life, is more accurately, accurately translated as pursues. And so putting those together, here's the image that we get of the Lord. God's goodness and mercy, his steadfast love, his hesed, pursues us all the days of our lives. One commentary points out that usually in the Psalms, it's the psalmist who, uh, enemy who is pursuing him. But here, the enemies are present, but have been rendered harmless, and it's God who's pursuing. Isn't that interesting? God's active pursuit has never been made more clear than in the life and work of Jesus. All of those shepherd and host images come into clarity and fruition in Jesus. In Mark 6, this is amazing. I never, I never saw this until I started studying the last couple of weeks. Mark 6, the famous feeding of the 5,000 passage. Jesus provides food and feeds the people. Remember Psalm 23, he uh, prepares a table for me. And he also has them sit down on the green grass. He leads me to green pastures. And before you think this is some sort of a happy coincidence, uh, consider what Mark tells us motivates Jesus in Mark 6. Verse 34, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus is both the host and the shepherd. And then there's this, the good shepherd became a sheep. Remember what John the Baptist said when he first saw Jesus. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And that's exactly what he did when he willingly went to the cross and gave himself up, just as a lamb would have been sacrificed to atone for sin. And while that sacrifice gave us access to God and the promise of his presence with us right now, one day it will be even greater. Revelation 7 gives us an absolutely incredible image. And I want to read this to you. And I want you to hear it as a word spoken to a flock. Listen to this. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more. Neither shall they thirst anymore. The sun shall not strike them nor any scorching heat. For the lamb is in the midst of the throne and he will be their shepherd and he will guide them to springs of living water and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Did you catch that? In that vision, Jesus is the lamb and the shepherd. He's both the host of the great feast and the one who pays the cost of admission. And he invites us to join him at that feast. And this morning, in just a moment, you'll be invited to come to this table it's a, just a taste, a preview of the great feast. But before uh, we close, I want to add one more thing. 
God invites us into his family, as I said, but he also invites you and I to join him in the work of shepherding. So another twister, uh, the shepherd calls the sheep to be shepherds in the world, to join him in his work of holistic restoration, cultural, social, spiritual. And imagine what it will look like if we lean into this calling here at Hope Chapel. We have the opportunity to offer literal food to people who are hungry every month at our mobile market right behind this uh, sanctuary, the first Saturdays of the month. We can point to those green pastures and those still waters as we um, celebrate beauty and cultivate um, art and create it um, in Greensboro, adding to the, the cultural renewal in the city. And we can invite others into the family of God, extending his Hesed love and opening the doors so that strangers would become children of God. This is our calling and what an incredibly compelling and beautiful source of strength we have in Jesus. So let's follow our good shepherd in that work. And in closing, since the Psalms are meant to be prayed out loud, let's pray uh, Psalm 23 together out loud. It'll be up on the screens and this will close us out. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen.